Well, all right, our speaker tonight needs no introduction. So I'm not going to give him one. I'll just do my own, okay? The best one I ever got, I did for myself, you know. <laughs> well, I'm so glad to be here. Uh, Margaret and I both are. A week of Thanksgiving, and I'm a little loud back here, guys. Um, but I am so thankful tonight, particularly for one thing in particular. We got here early. And we came in that door. I had no idea that I was preaching tonight. Now, let me tell you a quick story. Brother John asked me about two months ago on the golf course, would you preach for me on Sunday night, the 20th, whatever this is? And I said, I'd be glad to. And I came in the door, and one of my brothers back there said, uh, which kind of mic do you want tonight? <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? He said, you're preaching tonight, aren't you? I said, no, not me. Oh, yeah, you are. So I said, Margaret, you stay here. Because I'm probably going to get arrested. I've got to go back home and get my preaching Bible. All I brought was my toting Bible. And uh, so I, had, I went back to East Toboga. It left here at whatever. <sighs> so I'm thankful <laughs> that to be here. Thankful I didn't get arrested, stopped along the way. My goodness. I, hey, I've reached that point where I have to be reminded. You know, I'm forgetful. You know the story so about the two old maids that lived together. One said to her sister, I'm going upstairs to put my nightgown on. She got halfway up the stairs and she stopped, looked back down at her sister, and she said, I can't remember, was I going up or coming down? Her sister said, poor old thing, she's so forgetful. I'm glad I'm not like that, knock on wood. I wonder who that is at the door. <laughs> oh well, anyway. Well, I see the word got out somewhere that I was preaching about half congregation here tonight. Hey, listen, to hear you sing, David, and uh, choir, those who are up here, uh, I cannot begin to tell you what a blessing it is to be in a church that sings. Grateful to be where we're serving right now, going on uh, almost 10 months. Uh, we we're looking forward to a prospective pastor coming on December the 10th and 11th in lieu of a call. But we got a call this week. He changed his mind. And so uh, I had to disappoint those folks out there this morning and tell those who had planned to come help me pack and get out of there, uh, I'm not going anywhere yet. So they're disappointed, I know, gravely, because uh, the search committee had really felt like this was God's man. But we want God's will to be done. And so I do bring you greetings from the First Baptist Church of Anniston, located at McClellan. If you're wondering where we are, that's where we are. Is the whole world shaking or just a pulpit? Just a pulpit. Anyway, uh, earthquake. That's all right, David. Uh, I don't know what we did, but none of, I didn't do it. I, I didn't do it. <clears throat> don't worry about that. Now, if I was at home, I'd fold up a little piece of cardboard and stick it under there. We'll just do rock and roll, okay? That's fine. That's no problem. Well, anyway, if you have your Bible, open it with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. In a moment, we're going to read, I think, one of the saddest stories in all the Bible about ingratitude. And we don't want to be guilty of that. We want to be thankful and appreciative of all that God has done for us. And 
And I hope I live that way, not just one week out of the year, one day, but uh, I'm very grateful for God's blessings in my life. Uh, many of you have expressed concern. You know I've been kind of yo-yoing the last few months up and down health-wise, but I'm feeling better, doing a whole lot better, and very grateful for your prayers and your concern. But uh, this particular story is a, a story about 10 men who really received great blessing from God. But Jesus teaches us something in this lesson about uh, our duty, our responsibility, about uh, being grateful for the blessings that we have in our lives. I don't know about you, but uh, Margaret, uh, I thought about this. She told me yesterday uh, she was going to town to buy groceries for Thanksgiving. Her entire family is coming Thursday, so y'all pray for me that day. And uh, my entire family is coming on Friday, so we're going to have a full week. And so she came back and she said, I loaded down with turkeys. And I thought, you know, Thanksgiving from the turkey's point of view is... Uh, a little different from ours, isn't it? Someone said to me this morning, you know, Thanksgiving for the turkey is just a pain in the neck. <laughs> All right, somewhere else, I don't know. But I think if we were to give the turkey the opportunity to speak, he would probably say, I'd rather not be the star attraction at the dinner table, but, but nonetheless he is. And usually our turkeys don't have much of a chance of um, listening to our applause. We don't pay tribute to the barnyard creature, perhaps, the way that we should, but I think more in terms of uh, some featherless turkeys, uh, I won't call any names tonight, that are in some of our churches who feel like uh, Thanksgiving is a day to honor ourselves, you know? A day that we should be thankful about uh, what we have achieved and what we have done. But uh, it should be a day when we, I think, certainly reestablish and certainly maintain some sense of balance in our lives concerning what we're thankful and should be grateful for. So in this particular story, let me read, it's just a few verses long. Follow along if you have your Bible. It came to pass that as Jesus went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And he entered into a certain village. We don't know what village that was. It's really unimportant, I suppose. But in that village, it says, Luke says, that there were ten men that were lepers that met him there, but they stood afar off. Now, you know, of course, Levitical law pertaining to lepers was that they had to stand afar off. They had to be downwind, they had to cover their faces, and, and all the, the things. If you, if you want to read a sad story, go back and read Leviticus chapter 13, because it gives all of the instructions that God gave through Moses and Moses to the people of those who were affected by that terrible disease called leprosy. Verse 13 says, And they lifted up their voices, and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. Again, that was according to Levitical law. If a man thought he had been cleansed, he had to go to the priest. The priest would look at his skin and examine him and either declare him to be healed or not. And it came to pass, and this is interesting, that as they went... As they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, one, turned back and with a loud voice glorified, praised, and thanked God. And he fell on his face at the feet of Jesus, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. 
And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? There are not found that return to give thank glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. Well, obviously you know the story. In our scripture, one man out of ten returned to thank Jesus for what had happened. You know the fate of a leper. He was unclean. He had to live away from his family. As I've already mentioned, cover his face, stay down when all of those things. It was an ugly illness that affected a lot of people, a life of misery. I've been in other parts of the world, and some of you have as well, but I have observed leprosy. And it is absolutely a terrible disease. But in this story, not only did we see a little glimpse of the ugliness of a physical disease, we see another kind of ugliness, and that was the ugliness of ingratitude. And nine out of ten of those who were healed never came back to say thank you. I wonder, I wonder if that percentage is not with us even today. How many of us, how many people in the United States of America uh, really return to thank God, not only just on Thanksgiving Day or one week of the year, but every day of our lives, grateful and thankful for the blessings that he bestows upon us. But I know this, a man's life can be changed, as in the case of these men, but until their hearts are changed, there really is not a great deal of evidence of, of a life-changing situation. So it's not just uh, circumstances that makes us thankful. It's a change of heart. Uh, recently, I've had the, the privilege, and I counted the privilege, of meeting a guy who spent a great deal of time in jail and in prison most of his life. And I've tried to minister to him, and Margaret and I have tried to work him and, and give him some little source of income. And, and I see in this man a true change of heart because he's been with the Lord. And of all the things he's done and all the things that he, places he's been, committed sin he's committed, uh, I see in evidence in his life a change of heart. And therefore, I hope his life circumstances will one day change as well. Change of heart. For several years, <clears throat> I had the privilege of serving and pastoring churches in South Alabama. Folks down there are a lot different from folks up here. I've been asked, which is better, down there or up here? Well, it depends on where I am. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not, you're better, because I'm up here. But no, there's a, great, there's a difference, believe it or not, in South Alabama Christians and North Alabama Christians. But I, you know the story, and I'm sure you know it uh, from memory. Some of you, like Johnny, were living in 1895, and, and you remember what happened. The people of, of a little town down there in Coffee County, a place called Enterprise, Alabama. Some of y'all been to Enterprise? Well, you know, in the heart of Enterprise, Alabama, downtown in the square area, smack dab in the middle of the street, there's a monument, huge monument. And on top of that monument, there's the ugliest creature you ever laid your eyes on. A huge bug about that big, with limbs going everywhere, yeah. A bull weevil, an ugly thing. But in 1895, the people of Enterprise and all of Coffee County and Houston County suffered great tragedy of loss in their crops because 40 to 50% of their cotton crop was destroyed by the bull weevil. And so the farmers in that area had to turn to some other source of income. And so they began to plant two other crops. One of them was called corn, the other was called 
peanuts, which to that point had not been a very prevalent crop in that part of the world. But they became so prosperous with the peanut farmers and growing down there that the farmers decided to erect this monument to the boll weevil for having contributed to their leaving the cotton crop and going to, to the peanuts. And so uh, they come every year to celebrate an unusual uh, Thanksgiving in that area. We know, of course, from history that uh, it was our president, Abraham Lincoln, that first issued the first proclamation uh, declaring the first national Thanksgiving Day. And, of course, we know that we set apart now the last Thursday in November to celebrate and to observe Thanksgiving. Here's what the proclamation read in part. In the midst of a civil war of unequal magnitude and severity, I do therefore invite my fellow citizens of the United States to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and a day of praise to a beneficent God. And since then, of course, we have set that time aside. A time of thanks, a time of, of thanksgiving and praise for what God has done for us. It is a time of remembrance, a time to be thankful, but also it should be a time of renewal. Now, our scripture lesson, I think, is a lesson, in fact, about renewal. It's not the only story, nor is it the first one that Luke had recorded for us, that Jesus came and healed persons along the way, and many times he touched them, and they touched him, and they were healed. But isn't it interesting? It is to me, maybe it's not to you, but in this particular story, there's no touching involved. There's just a common command. There in verse 14, Jesus said to those 10 men, go and show yourselves to the priest. And of course, uh, it required them to act on faith, to do what Jesus instruct, instructed them to do. And so the 10 turn as they start their way, a miracle happens. As they went on their way, they were healed. But I see in this story also the risk of grace because Luke says that only one returned in verse 19 and said to Jesus, thank you. Thank you. And Jesus said, your faith has healed you. My question is this, if faith is what healed that one man, uh, what healed the other nine? They didn't exhibit faith. They didn't go back to express thanksgiving, that side of thing. But, and, and the only way I can answer that is that, that God did it. It was just one of those things that God did. I suppose it was done in the hope that those men would respond in faith and in thanksgiving. And when you and I look at our lives and say, well, you know, I have been so blessed and I really can't explain it. I can't tell you why God has chosen to bless me the way he has. I think part of the reason is that he just wants to see how I'm going to respond to that. Am I truly grateful and truly thankful? And do I act upon faith with what he's done for me? Well, they acted because Christ instructed, Jesus instructed them to do that. And as I said a moment ago, I believe that one man's heart, his whole life was changed. And uh, without a change of heart, there won't be a whole lot of change in people's activities the way they live. We think about America, we think about our presidential election. I don't know about you, but 
Wednesday morning after the election, I got up about 4.30. I'd gone to bed early, not feeling well that night of election, and not knowing, but hoping and praying, to be honest with you, my, how the results would be. At 4.30, I got up and went and turned on the computer, and I couldn't believe my eyes as I read the headlines uh, of the resounding defeat of, of Hillary Clinton. And I don't mind telling you, I fell to my knees and I wept. I uncontrollably wept and thanked God. But at the same time, as I prayed and thanked God for that blessing, I prayed for Donald Trump. God, number one, save his soul. May we have a new era, a new day, when we have a president who is a Christian, born again. Not only a change of direction, a change of policies, a change of whatever, but may we see a change of heart, a change of life that may affect the way we're headed in this nation of ours. Those ten men saw God's power at work, but you see, that was not enough to bring them to Jesus. Only one felt gratitude enough and yet we read that story, and don't you agree with me? Sometimes as we read it and as occasionally we hear it preached on like this, we say to ourselves, that's unthinkable. It's unfathomable that those ten men would not go back and thank Jesus to, because of their new life and how they could resume. Going back, and you imagine never being able to, to hug your wife or your husband, to, to hold your children in your arms, your grandchildren, but now to be able to go back and for the first time in perhaps a long time to embrace them and to live in the same house with them, to associate with your friends and neighbors and even be able to go down to Jack's every morning and associate with other folks. We think that's, that's unthinkable. But let me tell you a quick story or two. Might I do that? I wish I could say that I was related to Dr. Eugene Hill He's deceased now, but for a long time a missionary, one of our foreign missionaries to China. A long time ago he lived, but he was there when the communists came and occupied China and other parts of that world, and he was arrested, thrown into prison. And every day he was interrogated over and over again by a communist. And one day this communist said to Dr. Hill, a medical missionary, said to him, Almost you persuaded me to be a follower of this Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you this. I believe that you are a liar. And I believe that all you Christians claim is a lie. I believe it's a lie that this person Jesus lived and died on a cross to take sins of the world upon himself, that he was buried and came to life again. I believe all of that is a lie. And Dr. Hill said to him, why? Why have you concluded that it's a lie? And this guy said to him, because if it was true, then Christians like you would have been coming to China by the thousands to tell us this wonderful story. That's an indictment on you and me. And folks, listen, we're soon moving into our Lottie Moon emphasis and that offering time of the year that's so important to our missionaries. And I hope and pray that uh, we will express our gratitude once again in the form of money as we give sacrificially 
to not only meeting the goal of this church, but all of our churches, and meeting the needs of our missionaries uh, around the world. I believe that gratitude ought to express itself in meaningfulness. Not just lip service, but to do it in action. And I want to close with this story tonight. Another true story that took place a long time ago. It happened in the year 1860. And no, I wasn't there then either, but I, I read the story, and it's a good one, I think. It took place on a stormy winter night in Michigan. Actually, on the Lake Michigan. There was a side wheeler. You know what a side wheeler was. You know, the steamboats had paddle wheels, many of them in the back, propelled them forward. This was a side wheeler. Passenger steamboat by the name of Lady Elgin. And that night, the Lady Elgin was going across uh, Lake Michigan with 393 people on board. And somewhere close to the shore, but off the shore, it was struck by a lumber boat, broadsided. And that steamboat carrying all those people sank almost immediately. And of the 393 on board, 276 of them drowned in Lake Michigan. But there was a young man on board that lumber boat by the name of Edward Spencer. Edward was a young man. He was a student at Northwestern University and happened to be going across Lake Michigan that night and caught a ride on that lumber boat. And as the Lady Elgin went down, he and others on board of that lumber boat heard the cries of those about to drown, cries for help. And Edward dove into the chilly waters of Lake Michigan and swam out and got hold of a survivor and swam back to the shore and deposited that person on dry land. And not one more time, but 16 more times, Edward went into those chilly waters. He swam out into the deep water and rescued another and another and another until all 17 of those stood safely on the shore. <clears throat> he became delirious from the strain and the cold of the water, was confined to a hospital, and after several days, Edward was released, but from then on, he was confined to a wheelchair for the remainder of his life. Many, many years after that occurrence, a reporter came to his house remembering the story, and he wanted to interview Edward, and he asked for permission. Edward invited him in, and as they sat in, their, in his living room, and that reporter asked the question one after another. He finally said this, Edward, what is the most memorable memory that you have of that night many years ago? What fact stands out among everything, above everything else, as you recall and recant the incidents of going in time and time again to that water? And this is what Edward said. The most memorable fact of that night is this, that not one of those 17 people whose lives were saved ever said to me, thank you. Not one.
Well, I think one of the burdens of our Lord himself while he was here on earth, the burden of his heart, was the ingratitude and unthankfulness of people that he encountered. Only one out of the ten came back to say, thank you. I pray that not only this week, tonight, whenever, but for the remainder of my life, that I will be known as a part of at least the 10%. Aren't you want to be there? To say, Father, thank you for the blessing of my life. And I want you to know that Margaret and I count you high in our list of things and people to be thankful for. We appreciate you and we love you. Thank you for loving us. So would you pray with me for a moment? Father, oftentimes, uh, maybe even in a moment like this, we don't really know how to say in word how we feel. But tonight, Father, uh, my heart is so filled with with thanksgiving and joy because you love me. And I'm so grateful. And I don't know why. But Father, I do want to thank you with the, the words from my lips, not to impress anyone, but just to say it, to thank you. But you know my heart. And may it always be filled with gratitude. As we come to another Thanksgiving, we do have so much to be thankful for. Father, we're excited. We, we have a renewed hope for America. But may we not forget that our hope doesn't lie in a man or president or cabinet. Our hope lies in Jesus. And the only hope for America is the only hope for the rest of the world. And Father, we, we look upon the days that lie ahead of us as an opportunity again of of seeing things change and laws change and hopefully to bring again your blessing upon our nation and upon our people as we confess our sins as we ask for your forgiveness and ask for healing Father bless America bless us as you've blessed in the past so that in turn we can be a blessing to other peoples of the world because there is so much hurt and so much need. May there be change of life because there is change of heart. I pray that tonight for our missionaries who serve so faithfully and oftentimes in, in great difficulties, the needs that need to be met by people like, like us. We who sit here in our churches safe and secure and taking for granted many times our blessings. Father, may we give, may we go, may we pray as never before because the doors of opportunity are still open. 
Thank you, Father, again, for the wonderful privilege of just knowing brothers and sisters like these in our church that, that support us and who love us. Thank you for family. And Lord, as I look out upon this congregation tonight, I, I recognize a lot of needs, a lot. There's some folks sitting here tonight who are hurting. They're hurting emotionally. They're hurting physically. Some are hurting financially. Some are hurting spiritually because they're, they're just drained. And I just pray, dear God, that you and the person of the Holy Spirit would come again and refresh us, remind us and renew us within us, Father, a rightful spirit, a joy that we knew a long time ago when we came to the place of salvation. And I pray, dear Father, for perhaps a person here tonight that really can't celebrate Thanksgiving the way that they should because there hasn't been a change of heart. Maybe on the surface, a change of a way of life and of doing things, but Lord, deep down inside, that person may be here tonight who would be honest to say, I've been living a life, a facade. I've been hypocritical because people think I'm a Christian born again, but I really know that I'm not. And maybe that one tonight needs to be honest and moved by faith and trusting you to, to make things right. Maybe right where we stand in a moment to sing, or here in the altar, or here that I can pray with them. But most of all, Father, help us tonight to be counted among the percentage, the percentile of people who are truly grateful and thankful for all that you've done for us. Thank you, Father, again for loving us. And with the only words that we know how to utter, we simply conclude by saying tonight, Father, I love you. And I thank you. And pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.